So we're looking at the book of Galatians. We're just going verse by verse through it, and we're in chapter 1. And as always, if the Bible is true, this is really important. Important if true. Now, I believe the Bible is true. And so I believe that all the words, all the verses, all the passages in the Bible, all the stories is extremely important to us. And so we approach the Bible in that way. What I'm about to read is important. If it's true, then it's important. And believing it's, it's true makes it important to us. Galatians chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 10 again. We conclude in verse 10. But verse 10 is such an important verse. Paul says, now he's speaking about the gospel. He's speaking about the fact that the Galatians have departed the, just the simple, true gospel, salvation through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so he says, now, I'm not seeking the approval of man, or, for I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. He asks him a question. Or am I trying to please man? And he says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's an important verse of Scripture for us right there. If we are people-pleasing, if we have the fear of man struggle, if, if you are influenced more by what people think than what the Scripture says, then you need to, you need to do some work with that. And, and you need to think about it a little bit. Uh, how concerned are you with the opinions of people about the Lord? How how influential are people to your Christian walk? Are, are you going with the crowd? Are you going with the people you're around? Do you become like the people you're around? Or can you be like Paul and say, I'm not trying to please you. I'm pleasing God. And so I'm willing to tell you the hard, cold truth about things. And so we need to ask ourselves that question. Obviously, moms and dads, when you are teaching your kids, certainly you need to teach your kids to love God with all their heart, strength, and mind, and they need to learn to love their neighbors yourself. But up there close to that is you need to be teaching your children that they do not need to be afraid of people's opinions. And remember, words don't hurt. A baseball bat hurts, but words don't hurt. And, and we need to educate our kids and in the environment that we're in today, in the hostility towards Christianity and the things of Christ, it, it is really important, moms and dads, that you spend time helping your kids, helping your little ones understand this scripture right here and the importance of we believe the gospel, we believe in Jesus, we believe in what he's done for us, and it doesn't matter what other people think. We, we need to raise our children, they need to be concerned about what Jesus people teach, honor them, but, but what the world says, what opinion is, we, we need to be able to, to help one another be strong and not be misled by the opinions of people or their words or, or their whatever, right? And so Paul says that we're going to struggle with being a servant of Jesus if we've got a problem pleasing people. So that's a good verse of Scripture right there. That's a good place to get started today. It's something for you to consider 
and think about. Verse 11 and 12, important if true, it's important. For I would have you know, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. That's an important lesson to keep focused on. The Bible is not man's idea. The good news, the story about Jesus dying on the cross is not man's idea. It's not his invention. He didn't create this. Now, the Lord used lots of different people with lots of different personalities to, to be the, the vessel in which we have the Holy Bible. But it's from God, and the story is from God. And the plan of salvation, the gift of God through Christ, is not man's invention. It comes from God. That's what the Scripture says. He says, I want you to know this, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, think about it in this terms. If, if man did put the gospel together, it wouldn't be the gospel that we have now. If, if man put the gospel together, there would really be a struggle with this unconditional love part of the good news. We don't understand that. People don't understand that. We speak about love, but we don't understand through human reasoning, unconditional love. Now, if man put the gospel together, if it was his idea, there would be strings attached. And I know that me and my own human reason and my own flesh, if it, not influenced by what the word has to say to me, but if, if I were to put the Word of God together, the gospel together, if it was my idea, there would be strings attached. By George, you would have to do what I say. You would have to jump through the hoops. You would have to be uh, subservient to what the gospel says. But not so much, is it, with the gospel of Jesus Christ? No strings attached. We choose to love. We choose to obey. We choose to honor. We don't, we don't obey and we don't love and we don't honor to, to keep our salvation. We do it because of our salvation. We do it because we want to. Something else about good evidence for me that the gospel did not come from man. We would create a gospel, people would create a gospel that would spotlight the efforts of people. We would create that. We would create a religious system that you could measure it. And, and, and you'd say, you go to church. You get married in a church, right? You, you read these scriptures this day. You got to pray this many times a day. That's what we would put into place. And, and we would really respect and really honor the efforts of people. And the Lord Jesus says to us that we're not saved through human effort. We're saved by believing in the Lord. And the fact is, the matter is that we can't even believe in the Lord on our own. We need the help of the Lord. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. No one believes in Jesus without the work of the Holy Spirit. So that's a beautiful thing. That's the gospel. But, but man would, would not put that together. He would highlight the efforts of man. 
And we also would put a story together that would be easier to accept by the masses and it would, it would be easier to digest. We, we would work real hard with the PR of it. And I don't think we would have blood in the story. I don't think we would have sacrifice in the story. I, I don't think that we would speak about a sinless man that would die in the executioner's chair for our sins. No, we would take ownership for our sins. We approved, we, we did enough to, to be forgiven and to be made right with God. And, and we wouldn't have a story that's so difficult to understand, to accept, that one man came and lived a sinless life for us. And oh yeah, he happens to be the son of God, the Messiah, and he died on the cross for us. We, would, we wouldn't come up with that. People would not come with that. And I've already alluded to it, but I just don't believe people would come up with a gospel story that involves sacrifice. We don't, we don't do well with sacrifice. We don't have a concept for that through human reason. Without the Holy Spirit teaching us the truth of God, sacrifice would not be part of our being. And that's what we have in the gospel. We have a gospel that's based on unconditional love. We have a gospel that's based on not the efforts of people, but the efforts of God, completely the efforts of God. And it's a difficult story to believe in, to trust in, and it involves sacrifice. So Paul speaks to the Galatians. He said, you got to understand something here. The gospel is not from man. It is completely from God. And then he begins to tell his life story a little bit. And he talks about there in verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Verse 14. And I was advancing in Judaism. And since he speaks there and says, I was advancing in Judaism, we've got to understand he's saying, I was advancing in being violent towards the gospel and trying to destroy it, seeking to destroy it. Paul was a terrorist. He was a terrorist. Paul was, if he lived today and did what Paul did then today, we would indict Paul for hate crime because that's what hate crime is. Hate crime is when you judge someone based on their skin, based on who they are. And, and Paul didn't care about the individual. He didn't care about the facts of the story. He just was concerned with these people that believed in Jesus. And as far as he was concerned, they need to do away with all these people of the way. He, he was a terrorist. That's really interesting to think about that. It's really interesting to me to think about, and we'll talk about this more towards the end, that terrorists make great preachers because that's what we have here in Paul. Paul wasn't a sweet little man. Paul wasn't a man of good nature. Paul was not a man that just kind of had a good heart, and he just kind of thought the best in people, and, and he just, you know, lightly went about trying to help his cause 
and, and teach his beliefs. And we see that in one story in Acts chapter 7, in the stoning of Stephen. And it says in verse 58 that they've got him together, they've got Stephen, They're, they are just absolutely just full of rage and anger about Stephen preaching the good news. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is Paul. Paul was there when Stephen was killed. Paul was there celebrating when Stephen was killed. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. 8-1, Acts 8-1. And Saul approved of his execution. That is our Paul. This Saul that is speaking about here is our Paul, the one that we read a lot about the one whose words we read all the time, the one who we trust is a messenger from God. I mean, what Paul has to say about the Christian life really is important to us. That's this Paul. He approved the crucifixion, I mean, the execution, and there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul, this is Paul here in verse 3, but Paul was ravaging the church. He's a wild man. He's Osama bin Laden. He's a terrorist. He doesn't care about people dying. He doesn't care about innocent people being hurt and harmed. He doesn't care about little children being caught up with collateral damage. He doesn't care. I mean, he is absolutely sold on getting rid of Christian people and whatever it takes. And it says that Paul and his helpers entered house after house, dragged off men and women, and committed them to prison. Just snatched them away from their children, took them away from their families, their businesses, and locked them away and harmed a lot along the way. That's Paul. And so, a good lesson for us here in this story is this. Man, we sure need to share the good news about Jesus with the worst people around us. We sure need to. If you, if you see someone and you maybe look at their tattoos, you look at their body language, maybe you listen to their words, maybe you know a little bit about them, and you think, that old boy, he's bad. That old boy is really angry. That old boy right there, man, you don't want to get in his way. You don't want to mess with him. You don't want to speak with that guy. That's the Holy Spirit saying, go share Jesus with that one because we need more Pauls. We need evangelists. We need bold speakers of the good news. And the very worst people that you know often become the very best followers of Jesus. Did you know that? Terrorists make good preachers. So share the gospel with them. 
and he advanced in Judaism beyond anyone else. And then look at Paul's conversion here in verses 15 and 16. Now in verse 14, let me finish that. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. And then verse 15, but when, but when. That's important right there. That's important for us to know. Paul was this way, terrorist, committer of a hate crime, the worst kind of guy to be around. No redeemable qualities would you see in Paul. It's like watching Yellowstone. No redeemable qualities in any of those people. Good candidates for the gospel right there, all of them. Yes, the ones that take people to the train station. They need Jesus. It says, but when he who has set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Now look at verse 16. But when, but when what? But when he, God the Father, was pleased to reveal his son to me. That's conversion. That's conversion. Conversion happens when God the Father chooses to reveal his son to us. But when? Two of the most important words in this passage here. Two of the most important words in conversion. But when? But when he chose, but when it pleased him to reveal Jesus to me and let me know that I was called by God, let me know that he had a plan for me, introduce this Jesus to me, and he, he, he called me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, that I might preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Man, that's, that's conversion right there. Conversion is we are saved not to sit still. We are saved not to just not do anything. We are saved for a purpose. And God has established that purpose before we were ever born. And, and this is just not for Paul. This is, this is for us as well. God set him apart before he was born. He was called by grace. God was pleased to reveal his son to him. And Paul was saved for a purpose. And you and I are no different. And you and I are no different. Have you had a but when experience? A but when experience. I was on my own. I was living my life by my own standards. I was angry. I was hostile. I was dead in my sin. I was against the things of God. I, I, I may not have been like Paul that, that I was trying to do away with it zealously, but I, I had no inclination for spiritual matters or spiritual things. I didn't think about being a better person. I didn't think about honoring God. I didn't think about heaven or hell. 
I, I, I would think about hell, and if there was a hell, I reckon I was going there, but it didn't really bother me any. I went to sleep at night, no big deal. I didn't care about other people's situation. I had the idea in my life, let people live their own life. I'll live my life, let them live their life. And, and, and it's just the way it is. I mean, when you die, it's just it. I mean, it's all there is. Life just keeps on going here in the world, and, and people just cease to exist. But then, but then, the Holy Spirit began to speak. But then the Holy Spirit began to say, it's true, it's real. And then the tug of the heart began to happen, and, and thoughts began to happen, and ideas began to happen, and questions began to happen. And all of a sudden, there was a change from not being concerned about it, and then all of a sudden, without any idea whatsoever, with, with no intention, it just started being important, and it started being a consideration. And I started thinking about it, and you started thinking about it. And, and as it went on, you begin to ask yourself some questions, and you begin to find some answers. And you begin to, to have a want to that began to build up. And what that means is, if you've had an experience like that, what took place then was the Lord God was revealing His Son to you. And the conversion that Paul experienced wasn't a moral conversion, although his morality changed. And when we come to Christ, our morality does change. There is a change in our heart. There's a change in our purpose. There's a change in what we live for and why we live for but it's, it's, it's not a moral conversion that happens. It's not a social conversion that happens. Some people misunderstand that, and, and they equate people learning what it's like to be around Christian people, dressing the dress, walking the walk, acting like we're supposed to act, you know, whatever that means in church, and doing all those kind of things. That's a social conversion but not a spiritual conversion. What Paul had wasn't a traditional conversion. It wasn't just learning to get along. It wasn't just learning to fit in. It wasn't just kind of understanding some philosophies that, hmm, began to make some sense, and, and some adjustments were made. No, 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 this was, this was a real, genuine change of heart of soul, of mind, a spiritual conversion. Have you had one of them? Have you been converted? Was there a time in your life where all of a sudden, but then God the Father out of His grace and mercy revealed His Son to you? That's what happened with Paul. And let's move along a little bit here and see what happened with Paul. Now, in the last part of verse 6, miracle here. This is, I hope you catch this, so pay close attention to this. Don't miss this. Paul said, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I didn't immediately consult with a soul. Hmm. He had that. So at this point, the only one that gave him any instruction whatsoever about the Christian life was Ananias. Ananias didn't want to do it. He said, no one consulted with me. No one taught me. No one trained me. 
I didn't go to the spiritual bookstore and get the 10 books on what it means to walk with Christ. Verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem. Hmm. Wouldn't it make sense? All right, Paul is in Damascus. He's been blinded by the light of Jesus. He's had a, he has met Jesus. He's been saved, born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. All right. Where are the people that know all about this? They're in Jerusalem. Well, then I need to go to Jerusalem. He didn't do that. He didn't go to Jerusalem. It says, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia. He went, he went away from those folks. Now, out in Arabia, there wasn't a seminary out there. Out in Arabia, there, there wasn't a Bible school to go to. Out in Arabia, he's not going to go to discipleship classes. He went out there to Arabia. Now, picture Arabia, the Arabia that he went to long before oil, long before wealth. He's out there with the camels and the caves and the tents. And he said that he went out there into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then it says in verse 18, then after three years. Paul went out there in Arabia, in between Arabia and Damascus, that wasn't, you know, the pinnacle of Christianity. There wasn't anybody speaking to him, and he was trained, he was nurtured, he was taught the gospel of Christ. He became, an un- he became a preacher. He got the information out there all by himself without anyone's input. And then he says, after that three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Peter, Cephas, and remain with him 15 days. Three years versus 15 days. How much teaching did he get? 15 days worth. That's what, that's what you see here. And he says that while he was there in Jerusalem, in verse 19, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, in in." What I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. I'm telling you the truth, he says. Then I went into the region of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Now, verse 23. They only were hearing it and said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. What a miracle that is. It wasn't the 15 days back in Jerusalem. That was probably them getting to know him, hearing what they say. But Peter walked with Christ for three years, struggled, had some issues. But Peter came out understanding the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul had one encounter with Jesus, and he goes out in the Arabian desert and goes from there to Damascus, and that time frame is three years. But somehow or another, Peter, James, and John preach the same gospel that Paul preaches. Or say it the other way, Paul miraculously preaches the same gospel 
that Peter, James, and John are preaching. How in the world can that happen apart from God? It can't. That, that right there is, is dividing the Red Sea miracle. That right there is Elijah being whooshed up into heaven with the fire and the chariot. That right there is Jesus walking on the water. That's a miracle. I mean, we've all played the game, hadn't you? When you get together in the fellowship and someone says something and you wait to see what that story is, but it gets around the circle, it's completely different. But miraculously, by the work of the Lord, they had the same story. And then look at verse 24. And they glorified God because of me. glorified God because of me. They glorified God because of me. That's testimony. That's the way it ought to be. You see, when you were saved, you were saved for a purpose. And by how you live your life should be a reflection of him. And it should be that how we live our lives, people can see Jesus, and, and people should glorify God because of us. I cannot explain the way they handle problems. I cannot explain the way they handle difficulties other than God. And that's what they see in all. That's what they see. So Paul tells us here the important things, the highlights, things you can take home with you today. The gospel is not from man, it's from God. This story that we talk about, that we preach, that we teach, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and if you will believe in him, you will not perish, but have eternal life. That's not from people, that's from God. Paul's also telling us here, conversion is a miracle. Anyone that believes in Jesus is a miracle. Don't ever say that you don't have a testimony because you weren't down on your luck and you weren't in a ditch somewhere. You know, you haven't struggled with any addictions. Every single story of conversion is a miracle story. And that's what you have here. And also remember, in your life, the people that you're around, the worst of them, they may end up being the best of them. Christ. The ones that you might think are the worst sinners, Paul's that way. Paul said, I'm the chief of all sinners. I'm the best of them. Nobody was murderous like me. No one was so full of hate like I was. They often become the best believers. That ought to encourage us because we all are around someone that are going, man, how's that guy like that? Terrorists make good preachers. That's what we have with Paul. And perhaps the best lesson of the story is this. No one, not anyone, no one, not one single person, not anyone is beyond the compassion, the grace, and the reach of God. No one. And so we can say it like this. If Paul was saved, I can be saved. 
If Paul was saved, your cousin Jimmy can be saved. If Paul was saved, your neighbor Fred can be saved. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of opportunity. It's just, but when that Holy Spirit works with that person to a place. And I want you to understand, the but when may be simply when the gospel is presented. God may have done all the work required for that but when to take place. And it's people like you and I that just simply love them enough to tell them that God sent his son for us. And if we will believe in what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we can be saved just like Paul. Help us, Lord, to understand this scripture today and to follow through and, and be the kind of believers that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.